I want to consider here tonight a message along the lines of humility and consider this thought, the pathway to honor is humility. The pathway to honor is humility. This is something we see in the Word of God, and this is something that the writer of Proverbs wanted to pass on to those who are willing to listen or to read. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. Chapter 18, chapter 18, and verse number 12. Chapter 18, verse number 12, it says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haunty, and before honor is humility. I'd like us again to consider here this thought here tonight, the pathway to honor is humility. Let's pray as we consider this thought here tonight from the Word of God. Father, thank you, Lord, again for this time we can meet. We again count it a privilege and a blessing to be able to come to your house to understand and to perceive the words of wisdom from the Word of God. Help us by your grace again to understand some things on this subject of humility. Help us to understand before honor is humility and help us to be able to go in a way of humility so that we might be honored someday. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. You look here in the word of God and when you look at this thought of before honor is humility, I think one of the greatest examples of the Bible of a case where someone was in a place of humility and they came to a place of honor is found in the Old Testament. And let's turn, if you would, back to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. In God's economy, honor is always after humility. And so if you want a place of honor, you're going to have to go through sometimes times of humility or adversity that lead to humility. I'm not saying it's always adversity, it leads to humility, but you certainly find that in the life of Joseph. Joseph here, you're familiar with, and I want to read a little bit about him. He was 17 at the time that he got a dream from God, and he shared that with his brothers. You're familiar with it, but I want to read a little bit about here. here as again, I think it is a good example here of the Bible where there was Humility before honor. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, it says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And spread and said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hate him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And dreamed yet another dream, and told his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? 
and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. We see here in the Bible an example of someone sharing a dream. It's a 17-year-old sharing a dream, and we don't know his necessary his spiritual condition in a sense. Uh, when he shares his dream, was it one of humility or is it just one of matter of fact? I would guess it's kind of matter of fact. He's just sharing a dream like kids will share maybe a dream with you or maybe someone else will share a dream with you and they'll talk to you about their dream and they'll share their dream with you and they'll say, this is what I dreamed in a dream and he tells his brothers about this dream and then he later on tells his father about this dream and it's a different dream and but it's basically the same kind of a dream. And the dream is that he will be in a position where he will be in a place of honor and they will be in a place of humility before him. And again, here in this dream, they weren't excited at all about this dream and they hated him because he had these dreams. But yet the Bible says there in verse number 11, it says, and his brethren envied him. His father observed the same. You know, his father hid this saying, so to speak, I believe, in his heart and in his mind because he had this dream. He thought maybe on this for a little bit. I don't know how long he would have thought on this, but the reality is he dreamed a dream that he would one day be a place of notoriety, a place of, again, rulership, a place where he was, in a sense, the boss and his brethren and his father would be servants or in a place where they needed his help. Yet, you'll find in his life he went through what some would call the crucible of humility. The crucible of humility where someone has to pass through a place in life where they're brought to a place sometimes of brokenness. And certainly, again, to a place where they are humble before God. Can you imagine going to a place that Joseph was now going to go to, a place of being cast in the pit by his brothers? He was cast in a pit by his brother, certainly brought him to a place of humility where he was in that pit calling out for help from his brothers to deliver him from the pit and to allow him to live and to go on. But he was delivered to a place of humility. He was cast in a pit. Then he was cast in a place of bondage where he would be a slave. And he would have to serve. It wasn't a matter that he decided what he would do on a given day, but he would serve and he would be told what to do. And he would need to do what he needed to do lest there would be repercussions against him. And so he's brought to a place of humility through being cast in a pit. He was brought to a place of humility by being a slave to a master. I mean, as he was a good slave and a good steward and all those kind of things, he rose to notoriety. And someone might say, well, he's reached the place that he was supposed to reach in life. And so he got to this place where he was a ruler of sorts in a smaller realm to begin with. But after that, he was cast into prison. He was cast into prison, and while he was in prison, he was accused of something he did not do. And yet you find in the prison there, in a place of humility, he requested of uh, someone to help him and to remember him in the prison. And certainly, again, being a place of being in a prison would bring you to a place of humility. I've never been in a prison. I wouldn't want to be in a prison, but I want to say this. Those that get cast into prison and spend some time in, in a prison situation certainly, again, learn some things about humility.
Pride flees away when the door is closed, when the prison is guarded, and there's nowhere to go but to stay there. A lot of thinking, a lot of considering, a lot of pondering takes place in a prison cell. What you find here in the Bible as we read on here, from a place of humility came to a place of no righty or, or honor. And you say, how did that happen? It happened as he maintained his humility, which led to honor in his life. Genesis 41, and we'll pick up here in verse number 39. Genesis 41, verse number 39. Joseph, with his life, tried to do what, he, what was best. He tried to do that which is right. He tried to do that which is good by God. And as doing these things, he found himself in a place where he was able to share some wisdom on maybe what to do in a time of famine with Pharaoh. And uh, you say, see in verse number 39, it says, and, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee these things, all this, sorry, there's none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all the people be ruled. Only the throne will thou be greater than thee than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Look, where, where, where's Joseph now? Joseph's in a place of notoriety. He's in a place where he's been honored. He's been honored for his service. He's been honored for his character. He's been honored for sharing, again, that which is truth. And he's in a place of notoriety or power. It goes on in verse number 42. It says, And Pharaoh took his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed his vesture of fine linen and put a golden chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chair to which he had. And they cried unto him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph went through some difficulties. Joseph went through some uh, times and seasons, I believe, where he would be humble before God and certainly maybe be in a place where he'd wondered, what should I do or why am I here? What's going on in my life? Maybe he didn't think that, but maybe he was always of the outlook that somehow through these incidents, maybe, again, his dream would come true. And so he persevered. And probably prayed. But he certainly was humbled through all these things. The Bible says before honor is humility. We see this in the case of Joseph. We could look at the passage that shows him and uh, his brothers bowing down to him, but I don't think that's necessary. Well, let's turn, if you would, to the New Testament. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, people today want to be honored before they would show humility. People want a place of notoriety before they're willing to be a servant. And sadly, again, you find in society more and more want the, the position of leader before they want to be a position of follower. In such, again, that's not the way that things really work. Before honored is humility. You know, one might start off in a, in a lowly type of position as a servant or a slave. Someone says, where, where, where did Joseph start out? Well, he was cast in a pit. He was sold into slavery. He spent time in prison before he came, became a leader of a country. 
we see that honor comes after humility. In the case of Jesus here, we see in Philippians chapter 2, I just want to read through part of this, in verse number 5, through verse number 10, it says, uh, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and of things in heaven, things of the earth, and things on the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. There's no greater example of humility than Jesus. Jesus, the creator of the universe, was born in a lowly stall, a manger stall. Someone says, that's not right. That doesn't even make sense for someone to be placed in such a position, someone of such notoriety, the savior of the world, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all life. He was placed in a lowly cattle stall, but that's where he began, in a place of humility. No one bowed to Jesus to a great degree until later in his life. So again, the wise men came and worshiped him. We're familiar with that. But yet you find the Bible mention of Jesus. He made himself of no reputation. Now people are out to try to seek a name or reputation. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good reputation, but he just really didn't work at trying to get people to know, in a sense, who he is. In a sense, yes, yes, he would teach them about who he is. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Savior of the world. All those kind of things. And in him is life. He's the bread of life. He's the door It goes on and talks about a lot of different things, especially in the book of John, considering who he is and what he can do. He is the way, the truth, and life. And yet you see him take on the lowly form of a servant, born in a cattle stall, born to lowly parents, the lowly, so to speak. Yet he would become one who would be honored of the Lord for doing what? Verse number eight says, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, the death of the cross. We think of the injustice that Joseph went through being tossed into prison. Think of the injustice done to a Savior who was pure, perfect, placed in a cross. So, different, so despicable for mankind to come along and put him in such a position. He served, he healed, he helped, and the world sought to destroy him and kill him, put him to death. He lived as a servant, but he would later be be honored as a king. We find his rightful title given in Revelation chapter 19, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. From a place of humility to a place of honor, from a place of weakness to a place of great strength, will he come with a sword 
in his mouth and to come back with the saints of God to destroy the armies of the Antichrist swiftly and with his great power. Before honor is humility. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, there's such a call today, I believe, by many people to have a name and to be liked and to be loved and have reputation and have a place of honor and all these kind of things. And people are always pressing, so to speak, to have their name and their fame to be known. Where are the people that just humbly serve, humbly live for God, humbly do the will of God as Jesus did? First Peter chapter 5, verse number 6, it says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. We should seek a state of humility. You know, one of the struggles they say that men have, or there's many different struggles we have. <laughs> Communication, we're not very good sometimes at communicating, but one of the struggles men often have is that of pride. And there's other struggles that we have, and there are other struggles that women have. And again, I'm not going to go into those things here tonight, but I think about pride. You know, think about pride. How many people are proud? How many times do we lift up ourselves? How many do we think, how often do we think of ourselves as better than others? Jesus was an example of a servant who washed other people's feet. Someone says, well, that's disgusting to wash other people's feet. But yet he did it who would stoop to touch a leper or to be in a position where he would have sinners occupy time with him. Why didn't he have the, the famous, the honorable, uh, again, surround him? He didn't have this. He, in most cases, was in a position of being just a humble, unknown person by many people except those that truly knew him. Humility often calls us to be cast down, to be despised, degraded, dejected, rejected of men. This is what happened with both Joseph and Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. But those that find themselves in a state of humility may also find themselves in a place at some time that God exalts them or puts them in a position of power or leadership, maybe to help in a particular case or time. Again, we're not going to talk about Moses today, but he certainly was a very humble man. He didn't believe that he could lead, and yet he did lead, and he led well. In Hebrews chapter 12 here, verse number 1 through verse number 2, we see here in the Bible Jesus an example that we should aspire to follow after. It says, Wherefore, seeing we have also compassed about this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne. Of God. For Jesus, he endured the cross, a place of humility, a place of shame, so that he could one day become, be, be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, suffering first and glory to follow. 
Sometimes testings first, and then honor to follow. These certainly were in the case of both Joseph and Jesus. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Many people today are in a position maybe where they've found themselves in a place where they, uh, again, have a place of leadership. Maybe in our country, they're congressmen, they're leaders of some kind, senators, uh, governors. Uh, could have even become president of the United States, whatever it might be. And, and they're in that position uh, because maybe someone picked them. They were voted in. Or maybe someone knew them and they got a position as president of a college or whatever it might be. They have some place of notoriety. They're head of a company, a big company, whatever it might be, CEO of Amazon, whatever it might be. But you find, again, a different kind of structure in the life of believers here in Mark chapter 10, verse number 41 through verse number 45. Those who would aspire to be great, need to aspire to be lowly and servants if they are ever to be great in the kingdom of God. Mark 10, verse 41. Mark 10, verse 41. The Bible says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased at James and John. And James called to him and saith unto him, You know that they which are counted to rule of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many." We see in the Bible just kind of a different thought process when it comes to serving and leadership. In the kingdom of God, leadership comes from the bottom that leads to the top. Whosoever will be chiefest shall be servant of all. So the servant is the leader. When in the realm of the world, the Lord is the leader or the master is the leader, or the employer is the leader, or the company CEO is the leader. He mentions the chief is a servant of all, and Jesus led as being servant of all. It says in verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and gave his life a ransom for many. Did Jesus live for himself? No. Jesus didn't live for himself. He lived to minister to other people and lived to give his life for other people, not only on the cross, but also in his life. I wonder what it was like during those silent years with Jesus. The Bible doesn't describe all these things that Jesus must have done between the time he was 12 there in the temple and the time he went into what we would call full-time ministry at 30. What did he do during those silent years? I can tell you what he did during those silent years. He served other people. He lived this life for other people. He was in a position, it seems like, being a carpenter. Certainly someone says, well, that's not much of a position. I get that. That's maybe not much of a position. But he was simply a carpenter. You know, one of those people that helped make the world go around, just like the plumber. 
or the garbage collector or the electrician and on and on it goes. Just these average people that really society doesn't think a whole lot about. These kind of people, someone says, what can they become? They can become chiefest simply by serving. Doesn't say they need to get a plaque. Doesn't seem they need to get a reward. Doesn't seem they need to get a title. Doesn't say anything about that. It just says those that serve are in a place of chiefest or highest or honorable. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 1. We think of the case of Jesus. We think of the case of Joseph. Let me just mention here quickly just a little bit about the case of Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, we don't talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, sometimes as independent Baptists too much, because uh, in, in the religious realm, mother is elevated to the position as, and this is blasphemous, the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus, but she's not the mother of God. I mean, when they say the mother of God, that means a whole different thing than saying the mother of Jesus. And again, I'm not going to explain that here tonight. But she was given the notoriety of being the mother of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, let's pick up here. It talks a little bit about Mary and how she found out about this great privilege that would be given to her. And uh, I just want to read through just parts of this. Again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on just this here tonight. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And an angel came unto her and and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of situation, a salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I have not known a man? And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing what shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. You find here in the Bible, Mary given this privilege to be the mother of Jesus. She hadn't even known man, and so she wondered, how could this be? How could she get this privileged position? We read on, I want to pick up in verse number 38, it says, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered in the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth and came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It goes on and says some other things, but, and I'd, I'd, I'd read them if we had more time, but let's just pick up in verse 46. This is important. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. He hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. 
For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. She regarded her handmaid. Jesus came through a handmaid, came through a servant. Again, a servant that was espoused to Joseph, a spirit that, uh, again, a, a servant and a woman that could be trusted with the raising of Jesus. But you see again her position. She is humble. We could talk about others in the Bible who started in a place of humility but are honored with a place of notoriety. Mary, the mother of Jesus, would be honored for this thing. And it would be a blessing, according to her own words, for being honored with this. It goes and says much more about Mary, but you see in this case, again, someone in a place of humility that's put in a place of honor. What is humility? Just want to mention this. What is humility? It's a modest estimation of a worth or your value. What is your value? What is my value? What does a modest estimation of our value look like? What does it mean to be modest in thinking about yourself? There are people, I believe, in history that were modest and humble concerning themselves. Again, I just mentioned two of our national leaders, Abe Lincoln and George Washington. I think if you'll study their, their writings and their ways, they were, they were, again, men of humility and men of humility that were in time honored. Before honor comes humility, before honor is humility. It says there twice in in uh, the book of Proverbs. But let's turn to Proverbs chapter 22. There's another book in Proverbs that complements these two other verses in Proverbs. I just want to mention this one alongside it as it says basically the same thing, but just a little different. Again, when it comes to humility, it's not only something that leads to honor, but also leads to life. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Again, I think about Solomon. And I'm not saying this is speaking about Solomon. He started out very humble too, didn't he? Through humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now, riches may not come in this life. They may come in the life to come. Honor certainly may not come in this life, but the fear of the Lord coupled with humility bring forth riches, honor, and life. Someone says, well, what's the good with being humble? It can lead to life. Life eternal. An abundant life in this life. Let's turn to First Peter chapter 5. Humility is a corridor by which most leaders in the Bible come through. At least the great leaders of the Bible came through. And I mean they're great leaders because they were servants and servants to all. And again, whether it's the prophets of old like Elijah or John the Baptist or maybe again someone as simple as maybe an Andrew in the New Testament that maybe we don't know that so much about, but someone who followed the Lord and served the Lord with his life. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 6, the Bible says here, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he shall exalt you in due time. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you in due time. You want to be in a place of exaltation, not for the, again, just the benefit of maybe exaltation, being loved and liked or 
in a position where people maybe know you or, again, think some things about you, but be in a place where maybe you could be used to the Lord, humble yourself. James 4.10 basically says the same thing. I just, I'll just read that. The first part of the verse is, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. If you're in a place of humility and you want to be lifted up, humble yourself in God's sight, and he will lift you up. What does humility look like? What does a modest estimation of yourself look like? Let's turn to a few verses here in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 9 through 10. Having a modest estimation of yourself is to, first of all, consider yourself a product of the grace of God. Do you believe you are a product of the grace of God? Do I believe I'm the product of a grace of God? If we do, we are in a place, I believe, that we are exercising humility, just as Paul did in this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 9 and 10, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not to be meet to call an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which he has bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than in all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So, so what made Paul maybe a, a chief kind of apostle? The Bible says here what made him partly a chief kind of apostle. It says, I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. If you follow the travels of Paul, they were actually very amazing. They were absolutely incredible. If you think of him traveling from place to place, city to city, going through all the adversities that he went through, and uh, going in places being beaten and whipped and persecuted and stoned to death, and he kept going and going and going, you say, what, was, what kept him going? What kept him going? But the grace of God, I am what I am. God bestowed grace for him to keep going. Power, if you would, for him to keep going. Humility is gained through understanding that we are but products of the grace of God. What I can do, what you can do, what anyone can do is but a gift from God. Is God given? Is God empowered? Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. There's another good verse in Galatians chapter 6 that I believe helps us understand what it means to have a modest estimation of oneself or to be humble. It means to, first of all, believe we are products of the grace of God. Secondly, to see ourselves as we truly are, as nothing outside of God. Now, people wouldn't like you to say that, but that is the reality. We are nothing outside of God. Galatians 6, verse 3, it says, For if a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing... He deceiveth himself. What is the true reality of a man's life? The Bible says he is nothing. We are nothing. We are nothing outside of God. We are nothing. Someone says, well, I, I have a lot to give to this world. Yes, you may be able to. Let's turn to John chapter 15. I may be able to give a lot to this world. We may be able to give to the kingdom of God. We may be able to help 
in certain areas, we may be able to be a blessing here and there. But again, when we think about it, we are but products of the grace of God. We are nothing outside of God. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We are nothings and we can do nothing. Now, if someone says that's not going to build up anybody's self-esteem to think they are nothing and they can do nothing, but we can become something for God. And we can be something with God. Who are we? We are to be humble people with a humble estimation of ourselves. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There are many different and diverse verses that deal with humility. And again, I'm not here to look at all of them. But again, I want you to understand to some degree what it means to have a, a humble estimation of yourself, seeing yourself as a product of God, seeing yourself as nothing outside of God, seeing yourself as someone less than others before God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12, the Bible says, For we dare not make ourselves the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And, you know, this Bible verse just simply teaches that people are always seemingly comparing themselves and thinking about, oh, well, where, where am I at? What's my worth? What's my value? How do I compare to other people? This is something that we sometimes do and certainly not something wise to do. It says comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And so people measure themselves by maybe someone else. They'll say, well, I, I look over there and there's someone who's not of the same value as me. There's someone not maybe as valuable as me. But how should we look at ourselves? Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 2. We looked at that chapter and these parts of this chapter that deal with the humility of Christ. But what should be our humility? What should it look like? Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. I wonder how much we think like we should. In this case, I mean, just this particular case. Do we have a lowliness of mind that lets each of us see others better than ourselves? Or do we see ourselves as better than others? Well, I'm certainly not as bad as others, and I'm certainly not as worse as him, or whatever it might be. We have this mindset of having such great value we certainly wouldn't say, as it mentions there in the gospel, I'm an unprofitable servant, having done only that which is my duty to do. Most wouldn't see themselves that way. We shouldn't esteem others better than ourselves if we're having humility of mind. I'm not better, and I'm certainly in some ways worse. That's how we should see ourselves. Let each have seen other better than themselves. If we're going to do any measuring, we should say, hey, you know what? They're better than me. They're better than I. I'm not better than them. By the grace of God, I am what I am. We should have a modest estimation of our worth. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. If there's something of our worth, it's in this. And again, uh, 
a famous verse, if you would, in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So they say, I'm nothing. Well, you're not nothing that can't do anything. The Bible says that we can do all things. I can, Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can preach the gospel. I can warn. I can help. I can encourage. I can do all, all things that I need to do by God strengthening me or helping me. It's good to have an I can do attitude that's coupled with I can do all things through Christ alongside it. See, pride says I can do it. Humility says I can do it with Christ and because of Christ. And because of the strength of Christ. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 9. God uses humble people. God will exalt the humble. Psalm chapter 9. I'm just about done here. A background on humility. Someone says, how can I get this mindset of having humility? Well, we have to look at ourselves through the eyes of the scriptures and see ourselves as God would have us to see ourselves. Psalm chapter 9, verse number 1, it says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. When my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. Here's David talking about his life. He's, you know, he's he's excited about God. He's praising the Lord. He's talking about he's going to have victory. Verse 3. When my enemies are turned back, when they fall and perish at my presence. Say, how is this going to happen? It's through the power that God is able to give to him. As we look at our strength, we all need to see ourselves as people that can be certainly used of God and can do all things that God would have us to do through the strength that God is able to equip us with. Paul had a small estimation of himself, but he was truly one of the chiefest servants of the New Testament. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to close with this verse. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 8. Humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Other verses that deal with humility. Other verses that we could consider here tonight when it comes to humility. But understand this before... Honor comes humility. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 8. It says, Unto me, who am less than the least of the apostle, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of his grace. Paul seen himself privileged to be able to preach and privileged to be one of the least of the apostles, to be used of God to deliver the message of salvation to those that need it. Humility is to have a right estimation of ourself. And we see these in these thoughts here tonight. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight. And uh, we consider how honor and humility go hand in hand. Before honor is humility. Let's close as we consider the word of God.